oh my, just so many business podcasts out there. How can I possibly know where to begin? Here at Intrepid Business, we are about stripping away all of the usual boring fluff and instead focus on showcasing real people doing real business, achieving amazing things. The ones truly changing the world, the instigators making a dent, the people changing how we do sales and marketing, leading innovation, the people redefining leadership. But who are these people? Why do they do what they do? How do they do what they do? Find out on Intrepid Business. And now, here are your hosts. Welcome back to Intrepid Business. I'm your host, Joe Lavelle, and I'm really excited to talk about innovation today with a person the media has labeled Mr. Innovation, the Innovation Grandmaster, the W. Edwards Deming of Innovation, and a guru among the gurus. Are you guys excited? I am. We're going to get right to it today. We're joined by Rowan Gibson, author of the book, The Four Lenses of Innovation, a power tool for creative thinking. Rowan, welcome to the show. Thanks, Joe. Great to be with you. Could you take a few seconds and just tell the audience about your background? I've spent probably the last two decades running around the world, helping companies to develop a deep capability for innovation. So I've worked with people like Gary Hamill and Michael Porter and C.K. Prahalad and all of those thought leaders, if you will, in, in strategy and innovation. And uh, I've been to 61 countries, I think just in the last five or six years. Talking to, yeah, talking to every conceivable kind of company, all the Fortune 500 organizations, and also governments, by the way, to help, help countries to develop a, a capability for innovation. Why don't you start by giving us just a 10,000-foot overview before we dive into the four lenses of innovation? Yeah, I think that there's still kind of a lot of myths around innovation. We love the word. I mean, everybody uses it. It's like you so much, it, you feel like it's going out of style, you know, it's overhyped and whatever. But, but there's still so very little understanding about innovation, about, you know, where ideas come from and, and how we can drive those ideas from the mind all the way to the market. So there's still a huge amount of work to be done. And this book sets out to give, to give all of us, really, a very simple framework, very simple methodology for coming up with breakthrough ideas almost like innovation for the rest of us you know to go back remember the i don't know steve jobs used that phrase in the very early days of apple he said computers for the rest of us and that's that's how i kind of feel about this book outstanding i've been through the book twice now and there is very much to learn i worry rowan that we're not being that innovative today it seems like we're in this 20-year gap of we haven't really come up with all that much if you wipe out apple is that a valid criticism, or are there innovators out there doing things that are just more quiet than maybe what happened in the late 80s, early 90s? Yeah, I think both of those things are true. I agree with you that there's too much focus, in my mind, on mobile apps and whatever else. Because, I mean, that's where the money is. That's where the action is. So a lot of really smart brains are focused on making games and stuff, which is good, and, and it has value. But it's not world-changing stuff. It's not like coming up with the steam engine or the, the printing press. But on the other hand, there are people out there that are, I believe, doing great things that have the potential to change the world. I mean, I, I was in Israel in February. And matter of fact, I picked up an award there, which I was really honored to receive, called the Global Leader of Innovation. And the point there is not really about me. It was about the other two guys that were awarded. 
One is Ray Kurzweil, who's an absolutely brilliant futurist, working now with Apple on life extension technologies. I mean, here we're talking about people that want to solve death. You know, that's, wow. that's, big, that's big stuff. And also, and then the other guy that, that won the award was Dean Kamen, who, I don't know if you know Dean, but he's the, um, well, I mean, he's done so many things, but what he's known for is being the inventor of the Segway. But he's working on stuff now that has to do with purifying water for, you know, drinking water for people all around the world. I mean, like millions and millions of people would just not die if they can get their hands on this very, very simple mechanism for basically creating pure water out of anything. So there's great stuff going on. I mean, just four or five days back, we had Elon Musk of Tesla announcing the Powerwall, which is this battery that goes on the outside of your home for like $3,500, meaning that if you've got solar panels on the roof and this thing on the wall, you can basically almost go off-grid. And his plan is to power the entire world eventually with these incredible batteries. So imagine we won't be using coal or oil and gas or nuclear or any of those other things to produce energy. I mean, this is big stuff. It is big stuff. Let's go back to the basics. Where do the big ideas come from? How do innovators come up with these breakthroughs? Well, I think even if you go back and just look at those two or three things I just mentioned, there is a pattern to these things. It's like we've had this myth for many years that ideas just come to us out of nowhere or whatever. It's just not true. Our minds build ideas out of associations and connections. And, and there's a pattern to the way we think when we come up with ideas. So what I did was to go back and look at hundreds of cases of innovation and try to figure out, you know, what are the common patterns? Because quite often we hear about these great cases of innovation and we all go, wow. But very rarely do we go back and say, okay, what were these guys thinking? What were the perspectives that actually led them to their discoveries. So what I found in studying all these cases of innovation is that there is a common signature. And basically, it's all about looking at things from four basic perspectives. So if you like, I can outline what those perspectives are. That would be great. Sure. Okay. So these are the four lenses, basically. In other words, by looking at the world through these lenses, innovators are able to discover opportunities that the rest of us usually can't see. They're out there anyway. They're kind of hidden in plain sight by definition. Otherwise, nobody could, could discover them. But the rest of us can't see them. Why? Because we're not using these lenses. So the four lenses are, number one, challenging orthodoxy, challenging conventional wisdom, challenging our assumptions, looking for completely different ways of doing things. The second lens is called harnessing trends. So this is about building a deep awareness of all the changes that are taking place around us, they might be technology changes, lifestyle changes, demographic changes, regulatory changes, whatever they are, and saying these are powerful things. I call them waves. And some of those waves turn into tsunamis of change, you know? So how do we ride those waves instead of being washed away by them? Right. So that's the second lens. The third lens is called leveraging resources in new ways. So this is about looking at your company or even yourself as a portfolio of skills and assets and saying, how do we repurpose those things or recombine them and stretch them into new growth opportunities? And the fourth lens is called understanding needs. So this is almost the holy grail of innovation, is like understanding those deep, unmet customer needs and designing solutions from the customer backward. In a nutshell, those are the four lenses of innovation. So as I understand what you're saying, if we learn and we emulate these patterns, literally anyone can become an innovator. Absolutely. I mean, I think we look at Steve Jobs and Elon Musk and Richard Branson and Jeff Bezos and we sort of go, wow, they're great. But until now, we've had this, this feeling that, well, they came down to this planet with magical skills 
and they can do things that mere mortals cannot do. But it's just not true because if we examine and we understand the way the mind of the innovator works, then we can reverse engineer it. We can use exactly those same thinking patterns. I'll give you an example. Let's go back to those two or three things I mentioned earlier, you know, like making fresh drinking water available to anyone anywhere. Well, that's kind of challenging orthodoxy, right? It's kind of sort of saying there must be a solution to this problem that's killing millions of people every, every year just because they can't get their hands on fresh drinking water. But it's also about looking at trends, technology trends that make certain things possible. It's about understanding needs. It's about leveraging resources because this is a very simple device, actually, but it's, it's leveraging an existing idea in a completely new way. Or if we go back and think about Elon Musk with the power wall, that, again, is about challenging orthodoxies. Who says we have to power the world using oil and gas and nuclear and coal and all those kind of horrible things that produce CO2? Why can't we power the entire planet with solar energy and store that during the daytime in these batteries so that we can then use it at night or whatever else? So, and again, that's, that's about the lenses. It's about taking technology trends. It's about understanding needs. It's about leveraging resources in new ways. So taking, basically, he's taken the battery from, from the un, uh, underside of the Tesla car. It's a, just a huge flat thing and re repurposed it a little so that you can stick it on the side of your house. So it's really always, if you look at any, any case of great breakthrough innovation, it's about those lenses, those perspectives combined, crashed together to create new ideas. In the teaching in your book, you talk about the incredible wave of creativity that came out of the European Renaissance. Talk about that and what we can learn from how innovation happened in that period of time. Well, that was the question that I asked myself, Joe. How did innovation happen? You've got to remember that the, the European Renaissance, which started like around the 14th century and went on to like around the 17th century, it was a complete aberration, really, because the previous thousand years, what we call the Middle Ages, or you know, appropriately the Dark Ages, was a time of incredible stagnation. And then suddenly there was this huge explosion of creativity and invention and innovation. So I was like, what accounts for that? What, what happened there? And if you go back, what you find is that if you examine people like Galileo or Gutenberg or, or Da Vinci, they were actually subconsciously using exactly those same lenses, those same thinking pens. So Galileo is saying, what if the Earth is not the center of the universe? What if it revolves around the sun? That's challenging orthodoxies. He and some of his contemporaries still got into some trouble there with the church for presenting these contrarian views. Or even if you think about Christopher Columbus, this guy said, why don't I sail west <laughs> instead of east right. in order to get to the Indies? So I circumnavigate the globe. No one's ever done that before. That's challenging orthodoxy. If we think about Gutenberg with the printing press, that was actually leveraging resources in new ways because the printing press itself was based on the wine press. So the wine press was an existing idea. It had been used for a long, long time, especially there in the Rhineland area of Germany where he was living. So it basically repurposed a wine press and turned it into a printing press. I mean, there's more to the story, but it really was about leveraging resources in new ways. And then if we think about da Vinci, here's a guy that understands unmet needs. I mean, nobody was crying out for a parachute or, or a car or a helicopter or any of those other things that he came up with. But he sort of understood that those needs were there, and he started to think about solutions to human problems that nobody had ever thought about before. Why is it that people don't think they're creative? They say, oh, well, Joe over there, he's, he's a creative one on our team. Everyone else just needs to do their job. 
Of course, there's truth to the fact that we have left brain and right brain, and there are those of us that have that have exercised our creative abilities more than others. Some of us are just born, you know, by nature, we just tend to be more creative people. I'm one of those kind of people. I'm, I'm not a mathematician. I'm not a spreadsheet guy. I'm not a scientist. So I tend towards the more creative things. So, you know, that's true. However, all of us are born with innate abilities for creativity. And, and in fact, if you look at some of these people that say, I'm not creative, you look at what they're doing when they go home at night, you know, look at their hobbies, and they've got incredibly creative hobbies. So they might be musicians, or they might be collecting fossils, or they might be you know, doing all sorts of incredibly interesting stuff. It's just that when they come to work, they leave that creativity at the door. And so, you know, if you go to school and you look at kids, like let's say you've got a class of six-year-olds, and you say, how many of you are artists? Like everybody raises their hand. But when they're 16, you ask the same kids, how many of you are artists? Like nobody. So we have creativity sort of drummed out of us at school. And, and there's a whole chapter, a whole, in fact, a whole section in the book, which talks about this problem, really. And that is we're born with, with a, an open mind. We literally have an open mind. that We don't have any fixed patterns or ways of thinking yet. Uh, we learn those things as we grow older, you know, either through society or school or our parents. But we learn that there are fixed ways of thinking about things and that there are also fixed functions um, for the objects that we see around us. So we don't kind of question uh, those things. We don't kind of ask ourselves whether a toothbrush could be used for other purposes, you know, or a toaster could be, you know, used for other things. So, so we learn all those patterns, and then it becomes incredibly difficult for us to break those patterns. So, you know, in, a, in effect, what, what school and university and also our, our jobs do to us is that they give us all of these fixed ways of, of doing things and fixed ways of thinking and behaving and so on. And um, and so that's why we think we're not creative. We, we're we're sort of we're just doing things the same old way. And we need a tool. We need the tool to break those patterns and to help us to exercise our creative muscles again. And and that's what the four lenses are all about. That makes perfect sense to me. I was thinking only on like as an adult through the era of Six Sigma and Lean, have we institutionalized the lack of creativity for the following of the process? And to some extent, you need to be creative to apply Lean or Six Sigma. But in general, you're trying to get the error out of the system. So you're eliminating any creativity whatsoever. You're making everybody do something the same way. Is that part of why we're not creative anymore as we've institutionalized perfection or the pursuit of perfection? That plays a powerful role, really, because we've set up organizations for standardization and quality and replication and, and continuity. And then we stand up and we say, well, we also need you to think differently and to change. So how do you get continuity and change out of the same, same people, out of the same heads? It's quite a challenge. And that's why you need an intervention. I mean, that's what the four lenses, you know, and my whole, whole work is about, really, is creating you know, a capability for innovation. And by the way, which is interesting, you create that capability the same way you institutionalize Six Sigma or Lean or quality or supply chain management or customer service or any of those other enterprise capabilities. That's the interesting part about it. In fact, I just came back from London where I did a, a three-day innovation excellence masterclass for a bunch of really high-level innovation directors and innovation managers in very big companies. And they were saying, wow, this is great news. It's not like we have to do something completely new to the organization. All we have to do is follow the same pattern in a, in a sense that we followed to embed those other enterprise capabilities by creating leadership commitment, by building a, a management infrastructure for innovation, by institutionalizing systematic processes and enabling tools. 
and then training our people and empowering them and giving them these these tools and systems to do things differently, and then embedding the whole mentality, the attitude toward innovation in the culture, like we did, you know, if you go back to the Renaissance, to bring those kind of pro-innovation elements into the culture and make innovation a tangible value. Well, we, we use that approach for all of those other enterprise capabilities. So kind of the good news is we know how to build a capability for certain things, and innovation is just one of those things. If you've just finished embedding quality or embedding Lean Six Sigma, all you've got to do is take the same basic approach and now apply that to embedding innovation. With that, we'll take a quick break. Intrepid Business will be back with our guest, Rowan Gibson, right after this. This program is brought to you by Miles Finch Innovation, LLC, a creative consultancy that is passionate about ideas, imagination, and facilitating a culture of innovation. Miles Finch Innovation helps companies navigate the messy territory of corporate innovation. They're strategic thinking partners who can help you get unstuck and identify creative solutions to your toughest challenges. They also love to train and speak on the subject of creative leadership. Learn more about how they can help you at milesfinchinnovation.com. Miles Finch Innovation. Idea-centric. Strategically driven. Humanly conscious. And we're back with Rowan Gibson, author of the book, The Four Lenses of Innovation. Rowan? You've established that ideas don't just come to us in some eureka moment. Even over history, there's been some process. Tell us about the creative process that you're talking about and what role insights play in this process. We've actually been studying the creative thinking process, Joe, for like well over 100 years. A lot of people have written some landmark books on the way we come up with ideas. But I, I went back and looked at all that stuff, and I still found it really lacking and superficial because what they do is they, they bring it down to, let's say, four stages in the creative thinking process. So we have the preparation stage, the incubation stage, and then the inspiration stage, and then the validation stage, right? So right. These, are, these are broad stages. And I was like, okay, so what actually happens in that inspiration stage? Because... If you go back and read this literature, it's, it's almost as if, yeah, okay, in that stage, after incubating an idea, suddenly, you know, you're going to get this insight and everything is going to fall into place. And I thought, well, is that really true? And so I went back and unpacked it further. And what we find out is that big ideas are born from inspiring insights. So you're never going to get to a great idea unless you first get to a great insight. It's almost like a stepping stone or a series of stepping stones that lead you to some new destination of thought. And if you think about what an idea actually is, we use that word all the time, but people rarely ask themselves, what is an idea? I mean, how do you define the word idea? And in the book, it's defined basically as a new pattern of thoughts, a new combination of thoughts. So it's stuff that may have been out there already or in your head or it's different domains and different dots that are finally connected together in this new pattern. That's an idea. So how do we build those patterns? How do we build those new combinations? And the way we do that is by first generating new insights, coming to new understandings, uh, literally seeing into something. That's what insight is about. Uh, and then those insights basically inspire 
a new leap of association in the mind. I mean, we know that the human mind works by association. So the insight inspires that leap of association, and that new leap of association brings together these elements into a new pattern, and that pattern's called an idea. And that leads us to the eureka moment when you go, wow, I found it. But actually, it's kind of like it's about breaking that one stage of inspiration down into those four uh, separate stages that all start with the insight. So the insight is the trigger. It's the fire starter. It's the stepping stone that leads on to the rest. And therefore, if we're going to come up with great ideas, we need to focus, first of all, on generating new insights. And again, that's what the four lenses is about. By using those four perspectives, challenging orthodoxy, harnessing trends, leveraging resources in new ways, and understanding unmet needs, what we do is we come at something, a product, a service, a process, a strategy, a business model, from all of those perspectives, we generate those new insights, and those insights then inspire big breakthrough ideas. Wow. It's really inspiring. One of the things that I'm thinking about, and I've got as I read the book, is this concept of overnight success. There's all this pressure to build a, first it was a dot-com, and now it's a mobile company or an app company, and be an overnight success. But the reality is the people that are succeeding, Steve Jobs and, and others, they worked hard for years and years, and they packaged their insights together one by one, and the original iPod might have been an overnight success, but there were years and years of thought processes and trials and errors going on behind that and putting ideas together that may or may not work. And from your book, you talk about many historians or many that we know as innovators historically are the same way. And what you're saying then is if we go back and learn from their process, then we can create a systematic way for everybody to innovate rather than thinking, and I still think Steve Jobs is a genius, but we can come out with genius ideas out of our companies. Is that what you're saying? Absolutely. I mean, the bottom line here is that literally anyone has the potential to be a, a great innovator. And if you look at Steve Jobs, I mean, the guy was absolutely amazing. But, but you know, here's a guy who dropped out of college. He was walking around with no shoes on his feet. I mean, he'd only, the only thing he knew anything about was calligraphy. I mean, and here he is, a, a man who basically does change the world in, in certain ways. We can learn just so much from even just listening to that commencement speech that he gave you yeah, back there. You know, it was so all of us. I mean, Michael Dell you know, started Dell in his dorm room at university. Larry Page and Sergey Brin again started at university. Bill Gates dropped out of university to start Microsoft. I mean, these were just normal people that basically started huge, huge companies that we have now, but they started them in a garage. Jeff Bezos started on the kitchen table. So we have this feeling like, okay, well, the only way we can innovate is if we've got the resources of Google or Apple or Amazon or whoever. But they didn't have those resources when they started out. They were just, just normal human beings just like the rest of us. And so I think that's the story here is that this is innovation for the rest of us. By understanding the thought processes, you know, the perspectives that can be applied uh, in order to come up with new insights and ideas – all of us have the potential to, to come up with breakthroughs. And then it's really up to us to say, do we have what it takes to drive those ideas forward, you know, to actually make them happen? Because innovation is not just about creativity, but it's really the act of introducing something new. So the newness is about creative, creative thinking, but the, the act of introducing it really is about courage. It's about entrepreneurial spirit. It's about tenacity and pushing things forward in the, in the face of, of adversity we need all of that, but it starts with the big idea. It absolutely does. I wonder if we're too burdened by 
the wanting to get rich off our ideas as well. I'll tell you a story. I interviewed a physician who's a CMIO and a CIO of a hospital two weeks ago at the big healthcare convention called HIMSS. And he told us about a project that they actually lost money from, but was the right thing to do. And here's the project. They looked at their emergency department volume, and the biggest problem was what they called frequent flyers, people that come many times. Well, they decided they were going to come up with a program to reduce their frequent flyers. So people that were coming 15 and 20 times a year that were costing the system hundreds of thousands of dollars, they put together a program for each one that was education, reaching out to them and making sure they were taking their medications, basically a comprehensive program for their top 25 users of the ED that cost them, those 25, over $10 million dollars just in their ED and, you know, through subsequent care. Well, the top user, which was over 20 visits to the ED, had two visits the second year. Wow. In that case, the health system lost money because they get paid by every time someone comes to the ED. But they did the right thing, right? And they're getting prepared for the next generation of healthcare when we're getting paid for value rather than for interaction with the system. So absolutely, but and that's what it's about. I mean, and again, just listening to your story, I see two of the lenses being used there. One is the second lens about trends. Is realizing that you know these frequent flyers are a trend. You keep it's the same people coming back again and again. And then the the fourth lens is understanding needs. So what were their needs? Why are they coming back all the time? How do we create a solution that works from their need backward? You know that addresses that need. So again, and it's like I said earlier, you can take literally any case of great innovation. All the way back through time, I'm, I, I've literally, in the, over the last year or so, I've been studying history. I, I've always hated history at school, but now I love it. <laughs> but going back to the beginning of time and trying to track all of these various kinds of innovation through human history and unpacking each one of them from the wheel, you know, in cuneiform writing all the way through to today and saying, how do these things fall into that pattern? And, and again, by understanding the pattern, you can now reverse engineer. You can begin to systematically. So if I'm you know, at that hospital, I'm going to systematically say, okay, how do we challenge our assumptions? How do we understand needs? How do we harness trends? How do we leverage our resources differently? And that's going to lead me to breakthrough, breakthrough thinking. Exactly. Talk more about these simple principles and tools we can apply every day to unlock our individual ability to innovate. Well, what I do when I work with companies, Joe, is I don't leave it to chance. I don't just kind of say, okay, there's the lenses, uh, have a great time, go forth and innovate. What I do is I actually work with a company to systematically use those lenses. So it might be, in some cases, a, a firm that's saying, okay, we're really successful, we've been successful for a long time, but what next? What's our growth strategy for the future? So we'll use the four lenses to develop uh, new strategic growth opportunities for tomorrow. And then we'll figure out how do we get to those opportunities? How do we close the gap between today and tomorrow? Um, But then there are companies that say, I want to rethink a particular product or a service or a strategy or a business model. Or it could be a challenge like how do we reduce waste or, or other things? And so we use the four lenses systematically. What I'll do is I'll create teams. So if we have a group of people, I'll create smaller teams, so one team on orthodoxies and one team on trends, another team on resources, and another team on understanding unmet needs, or it might be multiple teams, you know, it might have two or three teams on each lens. Right. And then what we do is I, I have a whole bunch of exercises and templates or whatever, and we systematically use those lenses to generate new insights. And then once we've done that, we create the opportunity to crash those 
insights together. So kind of creative chemistry to bring together insights from the various lenses and then literally build ideas and build opportunities out of those insights. Kind of an internal hackathon? Kind of a hackathon. I mean, call it what you will. I mean, people still use terms like brainstorming and other things. But in fact, that's another term that's overused because people, when they sit down <laughs> and say, we're going to brainstorm, they're not really using the brainstorming technique, you know, that, that was the origins of the term. But yeah, I mean, call it brainstorming, breakouts, hackathons, whatever else. But it's giving those things an operating system. You know, instead of like getting a bunch of people together and say, okay, let's come up with ideas. That's the wrong way to start because, as I've said, the starting point, the front end of the front end is the insights. So it's like if you get in a car and you just put your foot down, you're going to go nowhere. You have to turn the key, right, or press the button. You have to get the engine rolling or running. And that's the same with innovation. We have to, first of all, generate those insights. Otherwise, we've got no raw material to work with. We've got no building blocks with which we know we can construct bigger opportunities. So it's like get those people together, build diverse teams Frame the challenge properly, but then use an operating system, use a methodology to systematically challenge your assumptions, harness the trends, leverage resources differently, and understand and address those needs. And by doing that, you'll find that your innovation, your ideation efforts are just dramatically more effective. I mean, I, I literally, of course, I'm biased, but I've been using this tool for many, many years. This is not a brand new thing. It's, it's been around and tested and proven for many, many years, even since the mid-90s. I've never, ever seen a tool that is as powerful yet as simple as the four lenses of innovation. It's worked everywhere. People use this in China. They use it in Africa. They use it across the U.S., in Europe, in multiple languages and whatever else, different kinds of industries, different kinds of challenges, and it always produces amazing results. Just last week I was in, no, the week before I was in New York, and we did a thing called, not called a think tank, but a do tank. It was at a conference called the Anti-Summit, the Disruptive Innovation Anti-Summit in Tribeca. And I did an event. It was right there in Robert De Niro's uh, restaurant, the Tribeca Grill, upstairs in the loft. We had a bunch of people, and we said, we've got just a small amount of time, but we're going to do a do-tank around healthcare. How do we rethink healthcare using the four lenses? And in fact, the time got reduced and reduced because of you know other problems with the agenda. And in 10 minutes, literally 10 minutes, Joe, People came up with the most amazing ideas using the four lenses. Wow. So we just have to give the opportunity and the systematic process and innovation will happen. It will happen. I mean, my dad used to tell me, let the tool do the work. I used to go like, try and help him in the garden or the garage. And I'd always do things wrong. I'd pick up the hammer and sort of like the Incredible Hulk. You know, like, <laughs> no, 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 my dad would say. It's got a weight on the end of it. Let the tool do the job. When you're sawing something, you know, let the teeth glide through and let it do its job. And, and that's what the four lenses, it's a power tool. It literally is a power tool for creative thinking that's going to dramatically enhance your innate creative abilities. So literally all of us as individuals, but all of us as, as companies, as organizations, even as, as governments, if we're thinking about national innovation strategy and how we approach some of the challenges we have as nations, the four lenses is just, the, the, for me, the ultimate tool for getting things done. Well, I'm inspired, and I know that many people that listen to this will want to get a hold of your book right away. So before we let you go and run out of time, where can people contact you and learn more about the four lenses of innovation? Okay, so my website's very, very simple. It's just my name, right? So it's www.rowangibson.com. So it's R-O-W-A-N-G-I-B-S-O-N.com. So that's easy. I'm on Twitter, at Rowan Gibson. 
The book, of course, is available everywhere. So the easiest, I guess, is Amazon.com. That'll then be there tomorrow or walk into a Barnes & Noble, get the book there. What do they say? Anyway, great books are sold. You know, that's, <laughs> that's, that's where to get it. I doubt it's even available on a Kindle. The graphics are so outstanding. There's no way you'd want to put it on a Kindle. So get your bound copy from Amazon right away. Rowan, yeah, Joe, I've got to support that. Um, the, the, there is a Kindle version, and the paperback, the, the printed version, is a thousand times better than the Kindle. So, you know, just spend those couple of extra dollars and get the paperback because it just makes a whole world of difference. Probably the best, and I get hundreds of books a year in this job across my desk. This is the best produced book I've had in five years. It's really fabulous. Thanks, Joe. I mean, I don't think we've even mentioned it yet, but the book is 304 pages, full-color graphic design. So it really is an explosion of creativity and the whole spirit of innovation. And that's what I wanted from the book because... We, we write a lot of books. My last book, frankly, it was a Harvard Business School Press book, very academic. But this book, I wanted it to be a, a real celebration of the spirit of creativity, and, and that's what it turned out to be with these great graphics. And you achieved that. Rowan, it was great to have you. Thanks for making the time today to join us. Joe, it's been a real pleasure and an honor, and uh, love to come back one day. Oh, absolutely. That wraps this broadcast. On behalf of our guests, Rowan Gibson, I'm Joe Lavelle, and we'll see you soon on Intrepid Business. <laughs>